We learned last time about the deception of the Givainim, how they especially dressed themselves up in clothing and brought with food, which would make it appear that they had come from much a more distant place than they actually set out from. And the reason for that, like we saw, was because if they were convinced the Jewish people that they weren't residents of Eretz Israel, then the din to destroy all the inhabitants of the land would not apply to them. And therefore they would come to so to speak, try and enact a, a treaty or come to some kind of covenant with the Jewish people that that way they would, wouldn't, would, would, would be unable to attack and destroy them afterwards. And it's interesting, we see that the Jewish people weren't fooled by them and therefore when they came to the Jewish people first and wanted to enact a promise from them, so the Jewish people's answer was, Maybe you do live in my midst as well, and therefore I'm not prepared to make a covenant with you. Now, what was the Givonims didn't reply to the Jewish people? What they did instead was they went to Yeshua. And they said to Yeshua, We want to be your servants. Yeshua asked them two questions. Who are you and where are you coming from? And they only answered the second question. We've come from a very distant place. For Hashem. We heard from him everything in Mitzrayim. And what he did to the two powerful Emory kings, Sichel and Og, which he destroyed them both. Now, the first point to think about is that the Givoyim didn't answer directly where they came from. They didn't say we came from a certain place. They just said we came from a far away place. And the reason for that is, like we're going to see, and that is that had they openly lied to the Jewish people, had they openly lied to the Jewish people and said we've come from some a different country, and based on that false premise, Klaishwa would have made a treaty with them, then if that's the case, Klaishwa would have had the grounds to undo it because they were lied to. However, by being vague and saying we came from a faraway place, even though Israel understood that to mean somewhere beyond the borders of Eretz Israel, but since the Givonim never specified that to them, then there wasn't, so to speak, the moral uh, mistake of Givonim or the moral wrongdoing of the Givonim. We lied to them, and if that's the case, they wouldn't have the same ability to retract on the deal. Let's explain. There's a halach in Telemominus. And that's halacha of mekachtos, which means a person says he was misled, and he was, he, what he bought was under false premises, and therefore he wants to reverse the sale. Now there's two options how a case of mekachtos could happen, and we'll see that there's a big difference between them. The one option of the mekachtos is when the seller lies to the buyer. So for example, the buyer comes and says, I want a certain product, and the seller lies to him and gives him a different product. If that's the case, the buyer's claim that it was a mekachtos, it was a mistaken sale, is based on the fact 
that the seller misled him. Therefore, he he says that being as you misled me, I want my commitment to the sale was based on false understanding, and therefore he wants to retract the sale. And halakhically, he's able to do that. But there's another kind of makakhtos as well. And that is, not that the seller misled the buyer, not that the seller misled the buyer, but the buyer misunderstood. He thought he was buying one thing, and really he was buying something else. And here there's a room to ask the question. And that is, does the Torah still have makakhtos, of mistaken sale, is it based on the fact that the seller did the wrong thing by being dishonest? In which case, because the seller was wrong, then the buyer has the right to retract his agreement to the deal? Or is it nothing to do with the seller? Is it the fact that the buyer made a mistake and therefore there was never a, a conscious decision on his part to buy the object he's buying because it wasn't what he thought he was getting, even if it's no one else's fault? And if that's the case, he would be able to retract his agreement to the sale because you can claim and prove to us that that's never what he had in mind. This is a discussion. At any rate, therefore, when it comes to the Givonim, had they clearly lied to the Jewish people and said, we a nation so-and-so, we come from such a place, which is far away, then for sure the Kleishel could have claimed that there was a Mekachtos involved. However, by being vague on that point, even though it allowed Kleishel to be misled, but Kleishel couldn't turn around to them and say, you directly lied to us, about what you said. Now what's interesting in this argument when it comes to the Givonim is they definitely tried to deceive Klai Yisrael. They came with clothing which looked like it had been from a much more distant journey. They came with bread which looked much more dry. They came with the, what, the, the wineskins which had cracked. And therefore they were definitely trying to mislead Klai Yisrael in thinking that they came from far away. But even though those factors would be there, as long as they didn't directly say to them we, we are coming from a different country, then the, it doesn't have this, the same, so to speak, severity as the case of Mekachtos, in which Kaisal would have the right to complain, you cheated us, you lied to us, even though th- th- they try to do that. Similar to a shopkeeper, let's say, who tries to make less good produce look more attractive so people want to buy it. So even though the, what he's trying to do by making it look more attractive is to encourage consumers, and that might even be also according to the Mishnah, Nevertheless, if a person does buy it, it's not necessarily Mekachtos, because if Mekachtos would be based only on the sellers treating him, then in a case like that, so to speak, the seller encouraged him to mislead himself. Not that this is a recommended practice, but it makes a less strong argument for Mekachtos, and therefore the Gimonim wanted a similar thing. And that is, they wanted Klai Yisrael to make a promise, an agreement with them, a covenant with them, they also realized that at some stage the Jewish people would find out that they had been deceived. But they wanted it to be that even when that would happen, Kaisal would not have enough of a ground, so to speak, to retract the agreement. Which is, as we're going to see, exactly what happened. Now, the second point to point out over here is that we see a second change between when they came to Yeshua to when they came to Kaisal. And that is the end when they come to Yeshua, the three words who came, the man Hashem and this was to answer the obvious question. And that is, why would they want to make a peace treaty with the Jewish people? If the Jewish people were threatening to attack them, or they were on the roots of the countries, the cities, that the Jewish people wanted to conquer, so it makes a lot of sense. It makes a lot of sense why they would want to why they would want to make a peace treaty, and obviously that's something Clash would want to avoid. But if they were from a very distant place, 
and therefore there was no need for them to interact with the Jewish people at all, if that's the case, why would they come from so far away to make a peace treaty? Not only to make a peace treaty, but in the sense that they said, We're coming to be subservient to you. So this is uh, what they added to Yeshua, and they said, because we were impressed by the greatness of Hashem, we heard the miracles He did, and therefore we came in some way to, to, so to speak, be submissive, subservient to Hashem. Now, obviously they only spoke about the miracles of Sechel and Og and Mitzrayim, not about the story of Yerichai, which was also miraculous, and the reason was, in order to fit in with their storyline, that they had come from far away, so they couldn't talk about incidents which had happened more recently, because by that stage they should have already been on the journey. And therefore, even though, as you saw in this first pasuk of the parak, they had heard about Yericho and I, and that's what they were scared of, but they wouldn't mention that in the way they recounted the story to the Jewish people. And why did they, so to say, blame it on the fact that they said we want to be subservient to Hashem? So this is a big yisod. And that is, if a person wants to treat somebody else successfully, what he needs to do is think about the mindset of the other individual, and therefore think of what in the other person's mind would make sense, and based on that, when a person says something, which even though isn't true, but because of where the other person is, or is holding, is thinking, so then within their mindset, so to speak, they'll understand it, and therefore they'll think it's true. And therefore... What was Yeshua's mindset? We know already, for when the spies went to Rachav before the first battle of Yerichoi, this was exactly the message which came back. That all the nations who had heard about Matthias Mitzrayim, who had heard about the downfall of Sechel and Og, were all trembling in fear, so to speak, before Hashem and the Jewish people who he was, he was sending. And therefore, in Yeshua's eyes, the argument that another nation was sufficiently impressed or sufficiently overawed by the miracles of Mitzrayim and of Sichon and Og, and that would be the, the reason, the motivation for them to want to come and become, become submissive to the Jewish people was perfectly reasonable. And therefore, if that's the case, the, the fact that the Gavadim came with such an argument, not that they're coming to save their own lives because Israel are looking to attack them, but because of this uh, argument, and that is that we came because we were, were impressed by the miracles we saw, and that's what brought us to come, would would have made a lot of sense to Yeshua, which is why he was willing to accept them. The mistake was, and I going to point out, they didn't ask. They didn't ask the Rebbe they didn't ask Hashem, and therefore they made they made the decisions based on their own understanding, which was mistaken. Now there was a second factor here, which also led to Yeshua's making a mistake, and that is the fact that this had happened before. Already in the time of Moshe Rabbeinu, there were a group of Givonim who had come to the desert and in order to join the Jewish people. When the Pasuk says in Nitzavim, and Moshe talked to all the different social circles of the Jews, who are standing to make a bris with a covenant with Hashem, and it finishes off, from your water drawers until your wood choppers. And the Chazal, Rashi explains, that these people were also a group of Gemonim who had come to the desert in order to make peace with Israel. Not because they were being attacked right now. As long as they were in the desert, then no one was attacking a Gemonim who lived in Israel. Besides for which, at that stage, there's still the option of making peace or of leaving Israel. And if that's the case, what would cause Gemonim to come in the time of Moshe 
for Eretz Yisrael to the desert and, so to speak, join the Jewish people in the desert and not as full-fledged Gerim. They didn't convert. They became, the, like we're going to see, what's called the Geratosha, which means they gave up a Vodazara and they were allowed to then live among the Jewish people. So what would have caused them to do it then? And the answer is that then the only argument would be because they were impressed, they were, they were so to speak, awestruck by what the miracles Hashem had done and they therefore wanted to connect somehow to Yiddishkeit. And the way to do that was to become uh, servants of the Jewish people. And therefore, Yeshua as a Talmud always sees what happens to Moshe as being, so to speak, something which he had already learned from. And therefore here also when the Givonim come a second time, so he thinks... He thinks that this is a repeat of what happened at the time of Moshe Rabbeinu, and that made him maybe too willing to accept them. The obvious difference was that Moshe wasn't misled by them. There was no need to mislead Moshe. Being as there wasn't a din yet at that stage to kill the nations of Canaan, so then if Canaan would have wanted to come and join, so to speak, the ranks of the servants of the Jewish people, they would be allowed to do that. They didn't need to deceive him. Whereas over here, where the battle had already begun, so then they weren't allowed to accept converts, and the only way to do that would be to deceive Yoshua. The other point, even though Yoshua was a Navi, with the exception of Moshe Rabbeinu, we don't find other Navim were automatically told everything by Hashem, and the Navi would have had to ask Hashem for an answer, and in which case, like the Apostle is going to say, there was a mistake here in Yeshua's part that he didn't ask Hashem. So the Apostle says that when the, the Gubonim answered Yeshua, like we, basically based on the miracles of what happened before. They say, The elders and the people who live in our, our country told us, Take food, I'm going to meet them, and they showed the food they bring with them. This is the bread when we left our homes, it was hot, and in order to travel with it, and so dry it began to crumble. The new pitches of wine we filled, and they spoke all already cracked from age. And therefore, they went to Shaklai Yisrael that Kiel had come from such a far away place. And it was just added to the Kiddush Hashem. The people even, which supposedly had come from so far, had heard about the miracles and were willing to travel such distances in order to join the Jewish people. And therefore, what does Yeshua do? By Yaslim, Yeshua Shalom. By Yechusim, Bruce, Yeshua agreed to make peace with them. He made a covenant with them. To keep them alive. And then besides for the covenant of Yeshua, by Yeshua and Nesim Ha'edo. The Nesim also made a shvur to them not to harm them. This is another point, and that is, besides for making a bris, in order to be saved from being attacked, there's another point in the bris as well, and that is when one sees that another another party is very successful, then they think that by making an agreement with them, by making a covenant with them, some of that success will come to me as well. And where do we see this? We see this by the brisim of the Avos. We see that Avimelech, the king of the priesthood, made a bris with Avram, that is, if you're going to harm me or my grandson or my grandson, and Abraham agrees to make the bris. And therefore, he's already bound not to harm Abimelech or his sons, grandsons, or even great-grandsons. 
And afterwards we see in the time of Yitzchak, Rabbi Melech comes again with the same trusty general Pichal to make an agreement with Yitzchak. And here the reason for the agreement wasn't so that we wouldn't get they wouldn't get attacked by by Yitzchak because Avram's covenant, which would last four generations, would apply to Yitzchak too. And if that's the case, they weren't under threat. Rather, the reason for the covenant, as, as they say themselves clearly in the Torah, we saw how successful you are, we saw how Hashem is doing miracles for you. In a time of famine, you planted seeds and it came back a hundredfold. And if that's the case, we want to breast because we feel that by connecting to you, we will get some of that bracha as well. And there will be a second justification of the people have given to want to breast without saying the reason for the breast was that we want to be saved. But uh, we rather want some of your, so to speak, your Hatzlacha. And if that's the case, that would be a reason why they would ask for a bris with the Jewish people. So we'll still see next time exactly the mistake that the Jewish people made and the effect this is going to have when they find out that they've been misled.